What's the top regulatory risk facing private equity managers today? According to Igor Rosenblatt, who co-led the SEC's private funds unit for several years, it's the proliferation of new products and the compliance and disclosure issues that go along with that growth. This regulatory burden is only likely to increase under the administration of President Joe Biden and SEC Chairman Gary Gensler. I'm Chris Witkowski, editor of Buyouts, and in today's episode of Spotlight, Rosenblatt tells us where you're likely to get tripped up in this evolving landscape. I think it probably behooves managers to get ready for just a different environment that they're used to from the the previous four years. Rosenblatt left the SEC recently to launch his own consultancy called Iron Road Partners, where he'll be advising alternative investment firms on the very regulatory issues he dealt with at the SEC. According to Rosenblatt, product proliferation, fueled by the rush of capital into the industry, is making firms vulnerable to regulatory slip-ups. Well, every time there's a new product that could interact with an old product, there are compliance and regulatory issues that need to be thought through. For instance, how investments are allocated, how time and attention is spent, how fees and expenses are allocated, uh, depending on what the new product is and how it works with the old product. And so all of those things are kind of non-trivial. And as you go from two products to three products or from three products to four products, that interaction becomes exponential and more difficult to manage. It's not just new products GPs have to worry about. Even products already in the portfolio may have changed circumstances that require new disclosure, Rosenblatt says. I think the things that are challenging to disclose are kind of new things that weren't contemplated when a certain fund was formed. Maybe a new type of expense or a new type of fee. Maybe it's the creation of a continuation fund or a restructuring. Maybe it's the creation of a new product. So those are the things that are hard to disclose. I think for the most part, At fund formation, kind of in my view, the disclosure and communication is actually pretty good. And it's what happens after fund formation that's sometimes difficult. Where GPs fail in examinations often has to do with not identifying unique aspects of their firm's policies. I think from my experience, the biggest thing that firms get wrong is trying to focus too much on perceived SEC hot topics and not focusing enough on their own idiosyncratic risks. In my experience, the the risks that end up really getting a firm in trouble are the risks that are really unique to each individual firm. And, you know, there are risks that I think firms know about in their own firms, and there are risks that I think are a little bit more nuanced. And spending time identifying those and making sure that the policies and procedures and the disclosures are sufficient to manage those risks are important. And while trying to identify hot topics is important as well, typically by the time the industry identifies a hot topic, it's been through the ringer and kind of people understand how to manage it. And it's really the idiosyncratic risks that get folks in trouble. One area he believes firms should monitor is the required adjustments to management fees after a fund suffers a write-off. This is not an area well explored by firms. The crux of the issue is that most limited partnership agreements provide that managers after the commitment period is over can still charge management fees on investments that are written down, even written down to zero, but not written off. But the parameters of when something is written off or something is not written off are often not uh, very well defined. And so 
managers can find themselves in situations where they have written down investments sitting on the books for years, 10 years, maybe even longer and charging management fees, or can have written down investments with a significant debt overhang that you know they're unlikely to recover any value at all going into the future. But the whole idea that something is written off is kind of more of an art than a science. And of course, it poses a conflict of interest because as soon as you write something off, you lose a part of your management fee. And so making sure that there's a process around that and that investors buy into that process is probably a good thing for managers to do. The SEC also has kept a close eye on the GP-led secondary deals like fund restructurings as a potential area of conflict. I think everyone realizes that continuation vehicles pose a conflict for the manager because often the manager is both on the buy and sell side and sometimes they're LPs. Some LPs are on the buy and sell side as well. And there are different incentives that uh, go along with that. But I think those conflicts, for the most part, are very manageable if you implement the continuation fund correctly. And the whole secondaries market, including the continuation fund part of it, could be really viewed as a huge positive to private equity because the most challenging part of private equity for an investor is that they're locked up for a very, very long period of time. A secondary market to provide liquidity to investors who need to get capital unlocked before the end of a fund is a healthy evolution, Rosenblitz says. As a matter of fact, that period of time is so long, they don't really know when they will get their capital back. It could be 10 years, could be 15 years. And with an active secondary market and with a continuation vehicle, that provides a fairly regular stream of liquidity for investors, which can make the asset class much more attractive to investors who are okay being locked up, but maybe not okay being locked up for an extended period of time. Perhaps most importantly, Rosenblatt shared advice on how GPs can avoid an examination turning into an enforcement action. Much of the secret is common sense, devoting enough resources to compliance, for example, but some involves just being open and helpful with examiners. You know, there are things that I could recommend in terms of just how to interact with examiners, just to treat them with respect, to make sure that you frame your own compliance program in a a very clear way, in a way that demonstrates that the chief compliance officer has control over what's going on at the particular firm, that you know exactly what your top risks are, that you're not guessing at information that could turn out to be wrong because it's very difficult for an examiner to tell the difference between a mistake that was made and something that was said intentionally in an intentionally misleading way. So uh, I think really all those things are important, but really the really important thing is really taking stock of your own program and making sure that the big conflicts at your firm are managed. That again was Igor Rosenblit of Iron Road Partners. If you wanna hear more episodes of Spotlight, You can check us out wherever you listen to podcasts or on PEI Media's various titles online. For buyouts, again, I'm Chris Wachowski, editor. Thanks a lot for listening.